0: And as we get into this chapter, we move essentially from the foundation that the author has been laying about the superiority of Jesus Christ, demonstrating how much greater Christ is than the Old Testament system or than the other priests in the priestly order or other than Moses. And he spent time establishing this to essentially say, now that we know this, now that we know that we have a great high priest in Jesus, essentially what we've talked about, the one and done, the one who went to the cross to die upon it, to forgive us of our sins, to atone or pay the debt that we owe back to God, so that when we place our faith and trust in him, we can have eternal life and be forgiven. What are we going to do with it? And one of the things that I want to encourage you in is this. As we're going to see this application, the author is going to use the analogy of running a race. He's going to speak about fixing our eyes on Jesus. But one of the things that I want to encourage us in, and one of the things that we're going to need to remember is this. The, the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a long journey distance race. We're going to talk about that in a little bit because so often do we see individuals thinking that life with Christ is a sprint, that when they come into their relationship with Jesus, everything's going to be fine, everything's going to go their way, all of what they needed is going to come to them, all of the problems that they have are going to be gone, and they're never going to experience challenge again in their life. And so they sign up, And the next thing you know, the gun goes off, and off they run. And the problem is, is they're not prepared to run the race. And so lovingly, what we're going to do is we're going to speak to that. We're going to see what the author says in an applicational way after having laid this foundation of the heroes of the faith. Remember that we're coming off of Hebrews chapter 11. We're coming off of 40 verses where the author is writing about how by faith individuals persevered with God. But then he also reminds us that in this faith, none of these individuals received what was promised in their lifetime. And so one of the things that I want to encourage us in is to remind us that we too are running that race. Now the difference that we see is this. The individuals that were mentioned in Hebrews 11 were essentially pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Christ has eternally existed, but this was prior to the arrival of the Messiah. Individuals were hearing from God. They were taking the promises that he had given. They were following him in faith. And last week we discovered that several of them had wonderful things happen. Several of them did, quote unquote, great things for God. But then we also noticed that every single one of the individuals that we mentioned went through a challenging time with God. Had struggles, were lost, were defeated, were imprisoned. And so one of the things that we need to be reminded of is this. If in walking by faith, a race that is requiring perseverance is the call that we are given, why so often do we tend to look to God and say, I've put my faith and trust in you. Now, give me what I want, when I want, how I want it, where I want it, and make my life easy. That's what we're speaking about today. And so lovingly what i want to ask you is this question all of us are running the rat race whether we like it or not so the question that i want to ask is who are you running for let's take a look we're going into chapter 12 and we are starting to round out essentially the entire book the author has laid his foundation and now he's saying okay because we know Because we've seen that Jesus is the best of the best, the greatest of all time, because I'm telling you, do not turn back to the Old Testament way, because you've seen the examples of individuals who've walked by faith and didn't receive what was promised in their life, but have given the promise of Christ as you have been given as well, what do we do now? One of the things that I find interesting is, is the book could have stopped if it wanted to at chapter 11. Christ is the best of the best. Right. But the author continues on in these next two chapters with, okay, now that we know this, now that we understand this, what do we do with it? How are we to live? How are we to move forward in our life? And so the author starts off and he says, therefore, Essentially going back to what had been written in chapter 11. Since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children, and not true sons. Moreover, we all have human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. I love this passage because right here it talks about the fact that the Christian life is going to have its challenges. It talks about the fact that the race that we will run is going to be arduous and challenging. It speaks to the fact that the race that we are running is not a sprint. It is not just a quick race that we just run through and are done, but rather it is a marathon. And so this morning, I want to take a minute and I want to speak to a couple of these things. Now, I was not a runner. I ran a little bit across country when uh, I was in junior high. I ran a little bit across country when I was in high school, but I was a swimmer. Um, and in swimming, the idea was somewhat similar. I was a, f- a freestyler and actually a butterflyer. And the challenge that I had was this. Um, humbly, I will let you know that I was quite good um, at the sprint distances of the butterfly. Uh, I was a state champion when I was uh, 9 and 10 years old. Um, actually, I was, uh, did quite well in my 11 and 12-year-old time. But the problem was, was that was in the 50 fly. When we got into the larger distances, the 100 fly and the 200 fly, or the 200 IM, I struggled with endurance. I struggled with the ability to continue to maintain the power that I had for the longer distances. And the challenge was simply this. I didn't want to train. I didn't want to put in the time and the effort, day after day, swimming the laps, doing the arduous duty to strengthen my ability to endure the long distance. And so lovingly, what I want to tell you is this. Are you in a race right now where you don't want to put the time in? Where you're expecting God to give you the reward and saying, hey, I'm going to just rely on, quote, unquote, my natural talent, but I'm not willing to put in the hard work to stretch the ability and help me endure for the race that I am in? Now speaking with running, one of the things that I want to ask is simply this. How far are you willing to run? Now in this analogy, one of the things that people would look at, they would recognize is oftentimes this race has been referred to a marathon. And so in that, we'll speak to the idea of running a marathon. Several of us might know. How many of you are distance runners? Anybody out there? How far is a marathon? Right, 26.3, if I have it correct. Right, right around there. Two or three, yep. How far do you think that is? To give you an idea of how far it would be to run, 26.2 or 3 miles. Anybody want to go run with me right now? We're going to go run a marathon. No? You'll you'll chase me on a motorcycle, right? Okay, I'll tell you this. God doesn't give us motorcycles when we're running the race. 26.2 miles approximately would be leaving this parking lot, running down to Casey's, turning left on 44, running all the way to Highway 6, gasping for air and thinking that we are done, and have somebody tell you, good job, you have to go all the way down to Adel. You get down to Adel, you get excited, you think you're done, and somebody says, you're not done yet, you need to go run probably three to four laps around the track at the high school, and then you are finished. That's the marathon. And when we look at this, and when we say, are you ready to run that race, how many of you are excited to do this? All of us say, there's no way. There's no way that I want to do that. And yet that's what we're called to do. One of the things that I want to encourage you in and one of the things that I want to challenge us in is this. I think pastors and churches need to be honest with their congregants that the Christian life is a marathon. It is a long distance race which requires endurance, patience, and training. Or what I would call discipline. And interestingly enough, that is where we come from or get the word of disciple. So I want to ask you this. How are you disciplining yourself in your walk with Jesus Christ? Let's take a moment. We're going to look in uh, the first part in verse 1 is simply this. Christianity is not a sprint. It's a marathon that requires great patience and endurance. And one of the things that I want to tell you that I think is so interesting in the world is as we continue to move forward in it, our patience becomes less and less and less, doesn't it? The reality is simply this. At any point in time... I can look and I can realize that I'm out of toothpaste and all i got to do is go onto to Amazon, push a button, slide the phone, and I've got toothpaste coming to me and supposedly it should be there within 24 hours at my door and if it's not, I get angry. That's the life that we live in. We're not patient, are we? We want things now. We expect results now. Yet what we begin to discover in our walk with Jesus Christ... It is one that requires endurance, patience, and faith. The other thing that I want to tell you is this. Oftentimes in a race, we might say, okay, I'll sign up for the marathon. I'll sign up for the 26.2 miles. And what we do is, is we expect it to be one where we do get to ride a motorcycle, or all downhill, or easy, just filled with a essentially nice route that doesn't require hardship or difficulty. And one of the things that I want to tell you is this, if I had to run that race, which I will tell you physically I'm not prepared for, if I was lucky enough to get all the way to the Raccoon River, I have a feeling that when I get down to the bottom of that river and have to go up to the top, that is where I would struggle the most. Why'd you put this hill here, God? Why, why am I having to run uphill? What are you doing? I thought my life was supposed to be easy. And one of the things that we're going to discover is simply this. Could it be that God is disciplining you because he loves you? Could that be the very mark that indeed you are his son or his, his daughter whom he loves? You see, so often people get frustrated when things don't go their way. They become angry with God. They begin to say, God, you don't exist. You're not doing what I want, how I want it, when I want it, and where I want it. I want an easy life. And yet when things don't go their way, they begin to become angry with God. And lovingly, what we're going to discover is it could be the very fact that the reason you're being disciplined is because God loves you and is drawing you closer to himself so that you might rely on him more and discover more of who he is and the promises that he gives and his faithfulness to you? You see, we're coming off of this passage where all of these individuals are remembered for what they did. But like I said before, all of those individuals who were remembered for what they did and their faithfulness in it endured hardship. None of them, not a single one of them, had an easy life of things that i want to show you as we're walking through here um, the starts off and he says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles interestingly sometimes we miss this don't we i want to take a minute i want to i want to focus in on let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So it's not just let us throw off the sin. It's let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin. Well, what what might be that which hinders? What might be the author referring to? Well, I would tell you, I postulate that what he's referring to is the religiosity of the Old Testament system. Let's throw that away. Let's throw all of the things away that we use to try to gain approvability by God to make ourselves feel holy, yet we've discovered are completely ineffectual. Let's get rid of all of the sacrifice, which the author has done a good job of demonstrating, how it is not viable, it doesn't cleanse within, and it isn't the one that brings righteousness. So one of the things that we need to remember is if we're running this race, if we are in the race with Jesus Christ, one of the things to tell you is simply this. How many of you want to run a race with a 60-pound backpack on your shoulders? Runners who run endurance races want to get as light as possible so that they can run as freely as possible with open movement and nothing hindering them. And so one of the things that I want to ask you is this. In your walk with Christ, have you released those systems of religion in a manner that you think makes you approvable to God, but does not? Better yet, let me ask you this. Have you given Jesus Christ your whole heart? Or are you trying to make yourself approvable by saying, God, I'll give you half of my heart, and the other half I'm going to make up for it by being a good person, by coming to church, by doing good things, by not doing this, by acting like this? Now, all of those things aren't bad, but the bottom line is Jesus is saying, Look, I don't want any of those things. I want you. I want your whole heart. I want your whole mind, your whole body, your whole spirit engaged with me and nothing else hindering you from running this race. And so the things that are being spoken of about what easily entangles are those aspects that we go back to to try to say, you know what, I'm running this race, I don't know that I'm doing it well enough, but I'm going to go over here and I'm going to look for something to make me feel like I'm more approvable to God. And so even though I struggle with sin, even though I do these things, at least I do X and I'm better than Y. And we come up with these rules and these regulations. And what it does is it hinders the grace and mercy of God. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lighten your backpack. Lighten the weight that's over you. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, truly holy and in an authentic way, you are a son or a daughter of the living king. And that's what we've seen in the argument that the author in Hebrews is making. Yet what we do so often as we get into this race and we labor ourselves with all of this religiosity and the weight of the backpack, the weight that's on our shoulders begins to cause us to struggle. And we don't recognize that we're never meant to run with that on our shoulders at all. So the author first says, get rid of the religiosity that is there. And then he says, and the sin that so easily entangles. So it's a two-part aspect. Number one, get rid of the religiousness. But number two, the sin in your life that might be entangling you. Now, One of the things that I want to tell you is simply this. We all will struggle with sin. The reality is until we are with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are not going to be sinless. But one of the things that I want to tell you is this. Is there a sin in your life that is entangling you? Is there something that is causing you to habitually turn to it rather than to Jesus Christ? And lovingly, what I want to tell you is this. Take that before God and say, Lord, I don't want this anymore. I want to run this race for you. Help me to remove this from my life. And better yet, don't fall for the trap of the enemy. Because watch this. You're running this race and you have that sin in your life and you're being weighed down but then you turn and you begin to say, well, I know I've got this sin in my life but I'm going to turn over here and at least I'm better than this person. At least I'm not doing what they're doing. Do you see what's happening? You've just put both of those weights on your shoulders and the enemy has you and he's saying, yeah, good luck running that race. The next thing that I want you to see is this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Interestingly enough, I want to take a minute. The word race, okay, the word here that's used, it comes from the root word in Greek, agona. Agona. And it's closely associated with conflict that we see in Philippians 1.30, struggle in Colossians 2.1, fight, fight, in 1 Timothy 6.12, 2 Timothy 4.7. Struggle, conflict, and fight. Let's go run a struggle, conflict, and fight. And interestingly enough, from it we get the English word agony. Come. Run Agony with perseverance. You want to sign up for Christ? That's what God is asking us. It isn't meant to be easy. It isn't meant to be just a life where we get what we want, how we want, and when we want it. It is meant to be a persistent, agonizing race in which we must learn how to discipline ourselves to endure. Now, interesting enough, everybody goes, well, it's going to be agonizing, so what do we do? How do we figure this out? I don't want to agonize over my entire race. Well, watch this. Let us run with perseverance. So we know that it's going to be agonizing, but notice the word endurance. The word endurance comes from the root word Greek, hupomoni, okay? And what this is, is it's to be under or to remain under. Or we get from it persistence or perseverance. So if you're going to run an agonizing race, you are going to run it with endurance by putting yourself under something. You're going to put yourself under the subject that's being spoken of, which is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so lovingly, what I want to tell you is this. As you're running this race, recognizing that it is a marathon, recognizing that the word there, the root of it is struggle or fight or conflict from which we get agony, have you put yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. So let me ask you another thing. How many of you are running a race... And you've signed up for that race, but now that you're in that race, you're saying, this isn't the race that I want to run. Now, I don't know about you, but simply this. I know this in swimming. If I was in my lane, and I was supposed to swim in my lane, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the race, I either said, I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore, or I decided to get over in somebody else's lane and throw a party with them, what would happen to me? I'd be disqualified. If I chose to run the race, if I chose to swim my race, and I was supposed to swim the butterfly, but instead I decided to do the backstroke, while I might go ahead and get through the race, I would have run the race, but I would not have qualified to win. And so what I want to ask you is this, are you running the race that's marked out before you? You say, oh, that'll never happen, that's no big deal. What qualifies us? What helps us to endure in this race? Are we running the race that's marked out for us? Are we standing on the word of God? Are we looking to the scriptures? Are we trusting God's written word? Or are we looking and saying, I want a little bit of this just so that I can quote unquote be in the race, but when things get hard, I want to do it my own way. I want to add to this. Or I want to run a different race because I don't like the race that God set before us so lovingly, I want to tell you, is when we sign up for the race, may we recognize that what God is after is long-distance runners who are willing to go the distance with Him to persevere in the race and to run the race that's marked out for them. And what I will tell you is simply this. As we look back to the individuals in the Hall of Faith, they ran that race with faithfulness, and the race that was marked out for them was filled with triumph and tragedy. And the manner of how they ran the race in triumph and tragedy was with faith, persevering, and trusting in God. And that is how they ended up crossing the finish line. And so the next thing I want to show you is this verse two. As we run the race, we are to look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. The author turns and he says, Okay, we're going to run this race with perseverance that is marked out for us and so how do we do this and he turns in verse 2 and he says let us okay that's cumulative that is to whom he is speaking those that are listening those that are part of God's family let us fix our eyes on Jesus Now again, in swimming, I don't know, but I'm trusting that there's a similar concept in running. One of the things that I know in swimming and one of the things that I've heard in running is that you don't swim or run like this, okay? Same thing for me. When we swam, we were to fix our eyes down on a distant goal. We were told not to look to our right or to our left. We were told not to worry about what was going on with the other swimmers, to keep moving and to run our race because the minute that we were swimming and the minute that we turned our head, we slow ourselves down, and sometimes you could lose that race by a fraction of a second. Runners, am I correct? Okay, I'm not a long distance runner, but if I told you I'm gonna go run a marathon, and I'm gonna run it like this, you're probably going to say, hey, you're going to do a lot better if you put your head up and you swing your arms to help propel you. Look to a goal. Look to something that sets your eyes toward the distance of which you will run toward. Look to Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And so lovingly, I want to tell you this. Are you fixing your eyes on Jesus truthfully and honestly? You might be in the race. You might be doing what you can, but right now your head might be down. You might be looking to other things. You might be looking at the ground, wondering how much longer do I need to go? And what helps you endure in this race is to lift your eyes and to fixate them on a point, And the subject of that point is Jesus Christ. So he says, not only to fix your eyes on Jesus, but then he gives you why you should fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. If all of these other individuals back in Hebrews 11 were commended for their faith, right? That's been firmly established. If all of them were commended for their faith... And basically, the author is saying, you are in the race, and it is a long distance. And all of these people got through by their faith. And then he says, oh, P.S., by the way, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Foundationally, why would you take your eyes off of Jesus Christ? Simply this, how many of you have ever uh, had an opportunity to meet the author of a book? Pretty awesome, isn't it? So let me ask you this. If you're standing there and you've read this book and here is the author of it, and then here's some other person that's read the book, but they haven't written it, who would you go talk to about the book? The author. Who would you consult about their ideas behind it? The meaning of it? The person that's read it over here or the one who wrote it himself? And so if Jesus has, quote unquote, in this analogy, written your faith, the author of it, but then also he's the perfecter of it, why would you look somewhere else? I want to take a minute, I'm going to look uh, at a point that's made by the ESV Study Bible, and then I want to throw this question to you. Through his atoning work, Christ's perfection leads to the perfection of his people, which will be realized fully on the last day. So the author has said, by what Christ has done on the cross, by dying upon it, rising from the grave, triumphing sin and death, now being seated at the right hand of the Father and promising to come again, that perfection that he had brings perfection to us. And that perfection that has been given to us is going to be realized on the last day when Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. The cross of Christ represents the greatest suffering in history. For Jesus not only suffered physically, but also experienced God's just wrath in taking upon himself the sins of the world. We talk about that. We celebrate that at Easter. We speak to that at Good Friday. We speak to the fact that Christ is the one who has taken our sin upon his shoulders and by dying on the cross, enduring and scorning its shame, we have eternal life. By doing so, he takes upon the sins of the world. Still the promise of future reward and joy Gave Jesus strength to suffer. Let's talk about this for a minute. Let us fix our on Jesus, the author and perfecter for our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That, that those words right there could be hours and hours of study and sermons. But simply stated. I want to say this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Christ is on the cross, he is enduring it for us. But where are his eyes? Are they on the ground saying, oh, stinks to be me. I guess I'm going to die. I guess it's over. I guess it's done. No. No. His eyes are focusing on what's ahead. He's looking, and he's looking to the Father, and he's saying, I'm going to endure this because I know what is coming. I know what has been promised. I know what I am to do. I know where I'm going, and I know how it's to be done. I'm looking ahead, not down. For the joy set before him... And so lovingly, what I want to ask is this. If we're focusing on Jesus, and his life was one of suffering and struggle, but he did it because of the joy that was before him, shouldn't we too recognize that when there might be struggle or suffering in our lives, that perhaps we are mimicking that of our Savior Jesus and being an example to others of our faithfulness to him? for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God he finished that agonizing race and persevered to the end question or point to ponder that I've been sort of driving at but I want to make sure that we all look at this and just have it seep into our lives and into our souls. If Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith and all of the past witnesses, all of the individuals mentioned in chapter 11 were commended for their faith, why would you turn to anything else? If we firmly established that all of those people had a triumphant yet tragic life as they walked in the promise of the Messiah but the manner of how they have been listed in this book is because of their faithfulness to God and we discover that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith why would we want to turn to anything else? then he continues on in verses three and four consider him okay so now it's like all right we've got this but now let's look at the example let's look at the example of our savior consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart what does that mean brothers and sisters in christ what i want to tell you is this when you're going through something hard please understand there is hurt, there is pain, there are prayers. It's not like one of these things where it's like buck up and move on. But lovingly, what I want to tell you is this. When life is hard, when life is the uphill, when you are in that race, when you've come down and you have gotten to the bottom of the Raccoon River and now you've got to go up to the top, and you're looking and you're saying, I don't know how in the world I'm going to get there. How do you do it? You fix your eyes on Jesus, and as you fix your eyes on Jesus, you consider him who endured the cross, scorning its shame. The one who endured such opposition from sinful men. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The motivation that you have to continue running that race The strength that you find from, quote unquote, within is not within you, it is within our Lord and Savior Jesus, and you consider Him as the example of how you are to run that race. And so the next point that I want to say that's found in verses 3 and 4 is this, that our focus on Christ and His example of faith enables us to persevere when we are weary and hear me on this. I don't want to be a downer, but I want to be realistic. It's not if we are weary, it's when we are weary. All of us will become weary in running this marathon. And when we are, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus and consider him as he endured that cross and say, my Savior's done this for me. Lord, help me to find the strength to keep running for you. Interesting enough, it continues on. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, basically what the author is saying is this. Look, I get it. I get it might be hard. I get that you might be going through something that's difficult. I'm not belittling it. I understand that it might be difficult, challenging, hurtful, painful, arduous, whatever it is. But here's the bottom line. None of us have endured to the point where we are shedding our blood on a cross. And yet our Savior has done that for us so that we might have life through him. And that essentially is the motivation to keep pushing on, to keep pressing on, to keep moving forward of the things that I remember and that I recognized back when I was swimming, the way that I was motivated to do things is, is as I would swim and as I would see I would listen and as I heard the coach's voice get higher or his whistle get louder I knew that that was where I was to put in all of my effort to move forward because I was close to ending the race or I, I was losing the gap that I had. But amidst all of the distraction, amidst everything else that was there, amidst the other racers that were there, all of the other people in the crowd, I had to tune out everything else to listen for my master's voice. How similar that is in our walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have to tune out everything in the world and be able to hear the one who is calling us forward. Our focus on Christ and his example of faith enables us to persevere when we are weary. Then we continue on, and interestingly enough, the author moves and he brings about an Old Testament proverb that the listeners and the readers of this uh, book would hear and know and resonate with. He continues on and he says, look, look to Christ as your example. That will enable you to continue on. And then in verses 5 through 11, he essentially sets up this foundation. Remember that hardship and struggle are part of discipline and a sign that you are a disciple. Has anybody ever said that to you? So often in this, in, this, in this world, we set up these ideas of church that, hey, come to Jesus and it's going to be perfect and your life's going to be wonderful and everything's going to go your way and you're going to become rich and wealthy and you're going to be able to retire and all of this and you're going to have great health and all of these wonderful things, this whole prosperity gospel message. And sure, those churches are full for a little while. I mean, who doesn't want to prosper, right? But the problem is, is when reality hits... And somebody's sitting there and they're going, hey, you know, I love Jesus, but I'm not prospering. What's wrong with me? Those churches say, well, something's obviously wrong with you because you're not promising. And the problem is, is they're absolutely lying. What about Job? Could it be? that the struggle that God might have you in right now is simply due to the fact that he loves you and you are his son or his daughter and what he's doing is disciplining you, not because he hates you, not because he's left you, not because he doesn't love you, because you're his. The author continues on and he says this, and you have forgotten what the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And basically, he's quoting directly from Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, okay? And ladies, forgive, okay? This is basically plural in its idea, just culturally. It's to the, to the individual. My son or daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. That's, that's a sermon in and of itself, Is anybody going through a hard time right now? Would somebody just be willing to raise your hand? Is anybody going through a hard time? Okay, I see a couple hands there. Thank you for your honesty. Could it be that the hard time that you're going through is not because God's left you, not because God doesn't love you, Not because God doesn't want you. Could it be that the very fact is, is he saying, my son, my daughter, I'm disciplining you because I love you and you are my disciple. Continues on and he says, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son or a daughter. Now, lovingly, what I want to tell you is this. Maybe, maybe the reason you're going through hardship is you're struggling in sin, and you need to go back and ask God and say, okay, let let me be real for you. Search my heart, oh God. Right? Know my innermost thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. But oftentimes, people are sitting there going, I'm doing everything, God. My heart is for you, and I don't get it. I don't get why it's hard. And the enemy wants to lie to you and say, well, the reason that it's hard is because God doesn't love you. But right here, the reason it might be hard is because indeed you are His. It might be the very mark, the very thing that God is saying, you are my beloved. And P.S. by the way, if you think that's not fair, he said the same thing to his son, Jesus, who agonized on the cross in the race that is set out before us. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as sons. That's how we rejoice. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, right? It's a mark that you are His. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Real fast, those of us that have kids, right? Absolutely adore my kids. Discipline is part of love. I know that I'm not their favorite when I discipline them. But if I do not discipline them, it is a mark that I do not truly love them. Notice what he says. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Could it be that the mark of your hardship is the very fact that God is saying, you are mine? Moreover, verse 9, We all had human fathers. Notice he's giving the lesser to the more argument who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How many of you had a father who disciplined you? How many of you liked it when you were being disciplined? How many of you respect your father because he disciplined you? Right? Exact same thing. Exact same thing. How much more, okay? Lesser to greater. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our Father, dis- our Fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. Can I ask a question? I want to be Jesus. I want Jesus to be mine. My question is, if that's the case, are you willing to be disciplined by the Father? Because, as we've seen in this title, discipleship equals discipline. Another question I want to ask is this. Could it be that when you experience hardship or challenges in your life because of your faith in Christ, it isn't that God has left you or abandoned you or doesn't care. Rather, he loves you as his daughter or son. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful I love how this author resonates with the reality of the human experience. He's not just saying, buck up, right? Ah, get over it, right? Pull up your bootstraps and move on. He's saying, I get it. I understand that discipline isn't pleasant at the time, but painful. And so lovingly, what I want to ask you is this. In your pain, are you turning to Christ and finding joy in the one who endured the cross? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Some of the greatest People that I know who are the greatest followers of Jesus Christ have had absolutely gut wrenching, painful lives. But they're producing a harvest of righteousness and peace because they've been trained by the discipline by being a disciple for Jesus. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, again, remember that hardship and struggle are part of discipline and a sign that you are a disciple. And then we round it out, essentially, in the next two verses, 12 through 13. And because of this, essentially what the author is saying, therefore, through discipleship, okay, discipline, we should make every effort to strengthen ourselves for the race. Therefore, okay, given that we know this, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Here's what I'm going to tell you lovingly. When you come to Jesus Christ, praise God, you are his and you are saved, okay? But as a babe in Christ, you are feeble and weak, and God is saying, strengthen yourself. Sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart for God by being a disciple who is disciplined by Him and His Word. And then he quotes essentially another proverb uh, 426 Make level paths for your feet. You want to make a level path? You want to make it easier to run? The race is going to be hard. It is a marathon. It is agonizing. There will be hills, valleys, peaks, ups, and downs. But what I can tell you is the way that you can make a level path to where your feet will be sure-footed and you will gain ground is by what? Disciplining yourself and putting your focus on our Savior, Jesus Christ. You want the advantage in the race? We all got to run it. It's a marathon. It isn't easy. But I'll tell you, the way to gain the advantage is to make a level path and to get those rocks out of the way. And how you do that is by putting your eyes and focus on our Savior. So that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Those who cannot run, can run. Through discipleship, we should make every effort to strengthen ourselves for the race. Friends, we've asked a simple question. When it comes to life, all of us, whether we like it or not, are running the rat race. And so lovingly, I ask simply, for whom do you run? And as we've looked at this passage, I leave you with this. Knowing that God disciplines his children for their good. We are to run with endurance. The race of faith while focusing our eyes on Jesus. Knowing that God disciplines his children for their good, we are to run with endurance the race of faith while focusing our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and again, we just thank you for those that are gathered here, and we thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the author of Hebrews who is writing now in a very applicational aspect of what he has laid as the foundation, the superiority of our Savior Jesus Christ. And so with that, Lord, as we've learned through the argument that Christ is the best of the best, that we need not turn anywhere else, that we need not anything else, may we throw away what entangles us, may we get rid of religion for religion's sake, and rest in the grace and mercy and faith of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, as we do, may we look to our lives and say, what aspect, what sins might be entangling us? And Lord, help us to remove them. And so in that, Lord, when we are able to be freed from those weights, when we are able to run with you, may we recognize indeed that this race is not a sprint, but it is a marathon. Yet the joy is, is we do not do it on our own. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have our Savior to focus our eyes upon and the example that he's given. And so in those moments where we might grow tired and become weary, we can look and consider the one who endured the cross and scored its shame for the joy that was set before him. Father, we too have the joy that's set before us, and that is life with you in your kingdom where there is no more hurt, no more pain, no more sin, no more agony, no more loneliness, no more struggle, no more death. And so, Father, as we run, may we lift our eyes to you and may we keep our eyes on the prize, which is life with you in your kingdom. Hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant, come and eat at the table I have prepared for you. Father, we thank you, we love you, we pray these things in your name, dear Jesus. And we ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and all God's people say, amen.